So, um, I don't know, I guess it was six months ago or so when Brother Corey asked me if I would preach one Sunday. And at the time, we were talking about the schedule and things like that. He was going to be out of town here. He was going to be out of town there. So I was thinking, so he's going to be out of town this Sunday. He needs somebody to fill the pulpit. I, I can handle that for one Sunday. Well, that was not the plan. <laughs> Just didn't know it at that time exactly. Um, but I do appreciate the fact that he will be here. That way he can jump up here and, like, throw me off of this, throw me off of this thing if I, if I say something wrong. But... uh while I am fairly comfortable standing in front of all of you talking and singing and things of that nature, I am a little nervous. I'm not going to lie to you. This is not my comfort zone, and I will speak a little fast at times. But uh, at the end of the day, I was given a task, and that's how I, how I approached it, to, to bring God's word to you this morning. And uh, I've never studied a passage of Scripture the way I studied this one um, for weeks and weeks and months. I've read this passage, and I didn't really start taking notes on it until a couple of weeks ago because I wanted all my thoughts to be arranged before I started putting stuff down that didn't mean anything. So the title of my sermon, he, he, he texted me about a month ago. He says, you have a title for your sermon? And I was sitting there, nope, sure don't. Hmm. Uh, but he texted me, so I didn't have to say that to his face. So uh, uh, I was at work, and I kind of worked for myself. I just I said, let me stop. I'm going to read this passage of Scripture again. So I read the whole thing, and I was like, okay, so what will you do with your faith? Um, so when he gave me this passage of Scripture, he said, uh, the Syrophoenician woman. And I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. No idea what he was talking about. Like, if he'd have told me the Canaanite woman, like from Matthew's account, maybe it would have rang a bell. But when he says, I'm like, oh, there's a Syrophoenician woman. But so, uh, so if y'all would turn in, in your, uh, your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 7, we're going to be going from verse 24 to 37. And we'll start with uh, reading the entire passage. So, and from here, from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child laying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to, to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his finger into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. 
And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So we come into this passage. Last week, Brother Corey told us where uh, Jesus was correcting the Jews on what defiles a person. That, That what defiles someone comes from within. And the next story we get to here, Jesus goes into Gentile territory. So his fame has, has spread like wildfire. Um, so much so that he enters this house not wanting anyone to find him. And this lady hears about him and she comes to see him. So we get to, we have a, a parallel account of this in Matthew. Uh, like I said, Matthew's account calls her the Canaanite woman. So I'm going to read uh, Matthew 15. You can turn over there if you'd like, but I'm going to read it. 15, 22 through 28. Matthew says, And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. So Jesus notes that He's there for the Jewish people first. And this is important for us because in Matthew's account, he, he says he's only sent for the people of Israel. Well, Paul tells us in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is one of our fighter verses not that long ago. And that verse on its own, set out there to the side, can be a little bit confusing, maybe, why Paul would say it this way. But this this is our connecting tissue here. This is what brings us all together. And this even connects us back to the original covenants that God had with Abraham. See, faith in the Old Testament was shown over and over to us by God's faithfulness through his covenants with Israel. And in the New Testament, Jesus is that ultimate picture of what God's covenantal faithfulness is. So for us to to ask this question, what will you do with your faith, we really need to understand what faith is. So Webster defines faith as a strong belief or trust in someone or something. For us, that someone is God, Jesus. And this woman, she understood who Jesus was, and that's evident by her responding, yes, Lord, to him. This is the only time in the entire book of Mark that Jesus is called Lord. She even accepted the priority that Jesus assigned with that the Jews were, the, were to, to get, the, the children were supposed to get what he had first. She accepted that, but her faith is truly displayed Her strong belief in who Jesus was is truly displayed 
in that she believes even the crumbs of Jesus's power would be enough to heal her daughter. It's significant that two times in the gospel when Jesus commends great faith, two times only, he responded to the faith of Gentiles. This time and uh, the Roman centurion in uh, Matthew chapter 8. Um, so that's significant for us Gentiles, right? This is where Jesus' gospel is really opened up to us. It's brought to us. So when I study the Bible, when I'm taking notes from Brother Corey's preaching, I tend to write myself lots of little questions. So I wrote y'all one, just like I write for me. So would Jesus have seen your faith? That was my question for me. Would Jesus have seen my faith? Would I have had enough faith to do what this woman did? Let's consider the challenges this woman faced. First, she's a woman. We're not in 2020 where everybody's equal, right? This is in biblical times. Women were not held in the same respect as men. Second, she's a Gentile. They were considered unclean. Jewish people avoided them for the most part, especially the rabbis, especially the teachers. They, they stayed away from them. Third, she had a demon-possessed child indicating an unclean spirit in her household. Four, the disciples even wanted to send her away in Matthew's account. They, they asked her to send her away. And then the last thing against her was Jesus' words. Jesus called her a dog. Now, Jesus was not putting her down. He was not telling us that she was lesser of a person than him. He was just assigning priority here. He was letting her know that he was there for the house, for, for, for the children of Israel. But the result of her faith, the result of her belief, is she returns home and she finds her daughter healed. Culpepper said that the gospel of Mark measures faith not by its orthodoxy, but by its determination, its courage, and its persistence. So can we have faith that is determined? Can we show faith that is courageous? Can we be persistent in our faith? Great faith is faith that takes God at his words and will not let it go until God meets that need. Great faith can lay hold of even the slightest encouragement and turn it into a fulfilled promise. So I would ask that God would increase our faith so that we could show the kind of faith that this Syrophoenician woman did. So next we come to the story of Jesus healing the deaf man. So, our faith will show in our actions. So Mark's the only gospel that shows a, records a detailed account of this, uh, this story of Jesus healing this Gentile. So let's go back and read verses 31 through 35 again. It said, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, 
ephatha, that is, be open. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So we're still in in Gentile territory. Jesus is dealing with another Gentile. He's left the region where he was at because he just performed another miracle, right? People are going to find out. When, he first, when we first start this, he had left trying to seek rest. He's trying to get away from the people who know about him. So he goes to another area here, and as soon as he gets there, they find out about him. He, just, he cannot be hidden anymore. The interesting part about this, the last time that he was in this area was in Mark chapter 5 when he uh, dispelled of the demon of, the, of legion right? And he sent them into the pigs, and they ran off the cliff, and the people in this area were deathly afraid of him. They were like, don't know who you are, what you just did, but you've got to go. This time, it's a little different. If we remember that after Jesus healed that man, the demon-possessed man begged Jesus to, for, to follow him, to go with him, and he sent him back home. He was like, no, go back to where you're from and tell your people what's been done. So obviously that man did exactly what Jesus told him to do because everybody knows who he is when he gets here. And this deaf man has a group of friends who, again, they show their faith. They bring him to Jesus. They beg him to lay his hand on him. They believe that Jesus can heal their friend. So Jesus responds to their faith. He takes the man away from the crowd because he's trying not to make a spectacle of this whole circus that's going on right here, this, this series of events. Jesus does not want to be known just as a healer. He wants people to understand who he truly is in the right time. So he pulls him away from the crowd, and he heals the man. Then we get to the, the, the real interesting part of the story, right? He spits on his fingers, and he sticks his fingers in his ears, and it's just like, like, Huh? Like you read that and I go, huh? But anyways, let's, Jesus certainly could have healed this man without touching him. But he chooses to do so in order to help the man exercise faith. This man could not hear anything that was going on around him. He couldn't, uh, he couldn't speak intelligible words to ask Jesus to, to, to save him. But Jesus takes his fingers and sticks in this man's ears to, to let him know. He knows, like, I know what you, what's going on here. I'm fixing to fix this. And he helps this man, and he sticks his fingers in his ears, and then he touches his tongue, and then he looks to heaven, And he sighs. All these things reflect an attitude of prayer for Jesus. Jesus wants this man who has no way of of ever having heard of who God is before to understand where this power is coming from. Jesus wants this deaf man who could not speak to completely understand what's happening for him. And he does. Immediately he's healed again, right? Right? 
It happens in an instant. And the first thing this man probably heard was either the end of Jesus' prayer there or maybe he heard the whole thing. But it happens in an instance. And then Jesus tells them to tell no one. We've seen this before, right? This is not the only time he tells people, oh, I, I did this, don't tell anybody. And every time he tells people not to tell anybody, they tell anybody, they tell everybody anyways. So in Matthew 9, 30, uh, Jesus told uh, the crowd there, uh, it says, and their, eye, and their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. In Mark 9, 43, later on, He's going to, Jesus will say to, to a group of people, and Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer you, for you cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. His reasoning's probably twofold here. One, like I said before, he doesn't want to just be seen as a healer, as a miracle worker, as a magician. He doesn't want people to know that, but he, do, he also doesn't want his true identity to be known because that can affect his ultimate mission, his ultimate purpose. He's, he knows exactly where and when everything's going to take place for him, so he, does not, um, he doesn't want that to come too early. He doesn't want people trying to interfere with this in any way. Now, Matthew's account tells us what happens next in a, in a little more detail. Um, so in Matthew 15, chapter, uh, verses 30 and 31, it says, And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. And so the crowd wondered, and they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. The crowd grew. This is this this account of the of the mute man speaking of him getting his his hearing back. It wasn't the only miracle that Jesus performed at this time. So when this when this crowd keeps getting bigger and bigger, and the more and more people hear about it, that's exactly what continues to happen. More people, but the result of Jesus taking that time to heal all of them is all of these Gentiles praised God. It said at the end there of, of verse 31, and they glorified the God of Israel. Like, th this is a group of people who had no allegiance to the God of Israel at all. None at all. And they glorified God, which is completely different from how God's own people treated him the entire time he was there. Also, Matthew's language here would remind the early church of Isaiah's prophecy this region in the Decapolis could have been fairly mixed as far as Jewish people and Gentiles. The, the Gentiles would have no, no reference to this. But in Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6, it says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then, the lame, then shall the lame man leap like deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The fulfilling of prophecy for the early church, for, for Jewish people who were not converts yet, were huge for them believing in who Jesus really was. It was huge for, for that to, to happen. So, 
I did go really fast, didn't I? Okay. The question I still have for you is, what will you do with your faith? So, Corey told me when I sent him my notes, he was like, you know, everything looks good. I, I like it. And I know he's got like a side critique where he, wrote, where he fixed a bunch of things that he hasn't shown me yet. He'll show me after today probably. But he said, you need to come up with a few, few points to, on how we can apply this to our lives. So I started thinking about that. I was like, huh, huh. That's kind of right there in front of us, but I'll say them anyways. So the result of our faith, the result of what we have, should be sharing the gospel. We should seek to tell everyone we can about the power of Jesus, just like these Gentiles did. We should seek to let everyone know what God has done for us. We should let everybody know that, the, that while God didn't heal my deafness like he did for this, this man, while he didn't make me see physically, he, he did open my eyes to the truth. He, he does speak to me through the Bible. We should be taking every chance we have to, to, to share our faith with people, but we should also, we should be living out our faith. Our faith should be evident. And the way that that is evident is we should be obeying Jesus' commands. We should, we should treat Jesus just like the Syrophoenician did. We should treat him as Lord, like he has power like he has dominion over us, like he is who he is. But a lot of us, myself included, don't do this on a daily basis. We let this world get in the way. And we don't look at the things that we should look at. We don't see the things and hear the things that we should see and hear because we're so focused on ourselves. Jesus gave us all faith too, just like he, just like he helped that, that deaf man. He helps us exercise our faith if we let him. 